0: Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. If you're new or you're visiting and you don't have a Bible, you can grab the Bible that is underneath the chair in front of you. And if you grab that Bible and open that up, it'll be on page 1 of that Bible where we we will be spending our time this morning. We'll be focused here on... Day four of creation, but we will begin reading the account just from verse one. So this is the word of God, Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as the the one who spoke all that we see, all that we hear, all that we touch, everything that, that uh, uh, that we have experienced, Lord, all things seen and unseen, Lord, you spoke them into existence. You, God, are the maker and creator of heaven and earth. And so, Lord, we consider it the ultimate honor that we could, Father, come and meet with you this morning, that we could come and sing your praises, that we could come, Lord, and thank you and come and worship you and come and study your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. We pray, Father, that it would be a light for us, that it would teach us, Lord, how we are to see and think and live. Lord, would you do that great work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There is easily no greater treat to our eyes in the skies during the day than the sun. And there's no greater delight to see in the night than a bright full moon. Which, by the way, any of you check out the moon in the last week? Massive, beautiful, glowing. We've, we've enjoyed a, a full moon uh, over the last week. And it's been, it's been awesome. Imagine a world where you don't have a sun and you don't have a moon and also throw in here, you don't have anything else to perform the functions that the sun and moon perform for us. What would that world be like? Would you want to live in such a world? What would happen? What would life be like? We know that and we've come to appreciate and be amazed by the sun and the moon, uh, we, uh, to be amazed by the functions that they perform, to be amazed by their beauty, to be amazed by their glory, to be amazed by the, the untold benefits. The ones that, you know, some of the, these benefits we know and we understand and we feel and we experience and others maybe we still don't even know about. But they help us and they make uh, this life in this world habitable. Uh, They make this world function. They make it beautiful. They make it lovely. They make it warm. They make it enjoyable. The functions and blessings that they bring are, are, are incredible. And when we look at them, they're high and they're lifted up. They are brilliant and they are radiant. But what are we to make of them? What are we to make of them? When you look at them, what is it that you are looking at? When you look at them, what is it that you are thinking about? And when you look at them, what is it that you should do after looking at them? While it may seem silly to us, many peoples in the ancient Near East believed in solar and lunar deities. Uh, In other words, they they worshipped a a sun god or a moon god or both or, uh, or what have you. And when the Israelites were in Egypt, they would have been surrounded by Egyptians who worshipped a sun god. Uh, they would have been surrounded by those who would be bowing down and prostrating and, and worshiping the sun. And so when, when these people, the, uh, these people of the ancient Near East, such as the Egyptians or others, when they saw the sun, moon, and stars, they saw gods. And they knew that, or they believed that, seeing that they were gods, that they were worthy of certain actions, and so they worshiped them, and praised them, and sought to satisfy them, and seek their favor, and things like this. They made too much of the stars, to, 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 put as a, to understate it. They blasphemed, and they turned to idolatry. They made too much of the stars. They made them gods. But if they, those, the peoples of the ancient Near East, made too much of stars, I think we have an opposite problem today with our modern scientists who have made too little of them. Many scientists and astronomers today teach that the the sun, moon, and stars are nobody's handiwork. And since it's nobody's handiwork, we don't need to think about any any uh, uh, of the any spiritual significance. We don't need to, you know, uh, be be turned and lift our thoughts any higher than the physical realm when we look at them. We do not need to acknowledge God. We do not need to thank him or praise him because there is no God and he is not the creator of those things. They're just there and we don't know exactly how they got there. We know they have a beginning, but it seems like there was nothing and then everything popped into existence out of nothing. And now what just exists is what is physical. And so we don't need to thank anyone. We don't need to praise anyone. We just need to be happy. They're there, I guess. What's the Bible's view of the sun, moon, and stars? The Bible teaches, no, it does not teach that they are gods. And the Bible does not teach that they are nobody's handiwork. But the Bible teaches something different than both of those worldviews. The Bible is not going to make less of stars. It's not going to make more of stars. It's going to give you the accurate and correct Way to look and view and think and act in light of the sun, moon, and stars. They are God's handiwork. And that's what this creation account tells us. That's why day four is so important, because if you are going to lift your eyes and look at what's above you during the day or during the night and think about it and think about whether that might mean that you should do something in light of that, then you need this day. You need day four. You need Genesis chapter one. You need verses 14 through 19. And I believe that when you study this day, it will change the way that you view the sun, moon, and stars forever. It will teach you that when you look at them, that your focus is drawn to him. That when you look at the sun, moon, and stars It causes you to be overwhelmed and compels you to consider the greatness and the glory and the majesty of the creator of those heavenly lights. It forces you to think and realize that there is a father of lights. There is one who made these lights, is responsible for bringing them into existence And so by studying this text, I hope that you will come to put your focus on the Father of lights when you look at the sun, moon, and stars. That you will have the conviction that this is my Father's light show. And that I'm going to look and I'm going to think and I'm going to live in light of it. And so you have in your sermon notes there the main idea, and that's that the fourth day of creation helps us answer three important questions about the sun, moon, and stars, so that when we look at them, we will think and do, uh, we will see, think and do what God wants us to. I warn you up front, uh, and and promise you that my first point will be uh, the longest of the three, but we're dealing with the most amount of text in in that first point. So let's begin with the first question. When you look at the sun, moon, and stars, what do you see? Do you know what it is that you're looking at? And and do you see what God sees? Do you see what God wants you to see? Or do you just see what you want to see? Day four shows us what God wants us to see and that is he wants us to see his handiwork. Verse 14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. God wants you to see his handiwork. And we see his handiwork demonstrated uh, in the fact that the thing that uh, these verses show us That when you're looking at the stars and the sun and the moon, you're looking at things that have a creator, that have a location, that have a purpose, and yes, even have a birthday. So let's start first with you're seeing things that have a creator. Verse 14 and verse 16 show us that when you look at the sun, moon, and stars, you're looking at things that have a creator God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 16 says, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. What's that? The sun, good job. And the lesser light to rule the night. What's that? Yeah, you guys are doing good. And by the way, and the stars, God made them all. He spoke them into existence. How did they get there? He just spoke them into existence. They have a beginning. They are not eternal. They have not always been there. They have a creator. They were made. They did not exist in one moment. And then in the next moment, God spoke and they, and they existed. They came right into existence. Psalm 33 verse 6 puts this perfectly. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. I remember being a, a, a new believer as a junior hire. And I, you know, uh, so this would have been in the 90s. And, and you, there's some awesome 90s Christian t-shirts happening. Uh, and I remember going, I wanted to go to a Christian store and pick out a Christian t-shirt because I'm a Christian now. And uh, going there and I, I got this shirt. I didn't really know what it meant, but it sounded cool. Uh, and pretty much what, what this shirt would say uh, is say, the Big Bang Theory, God spoke and bang, It happened. And I remember just loving that shirt, and I just wore it proudly, right, <laughs> to, to school. And I don't even know what the Big Bang was probably, you know, <laughs> at all. But I, I know that God spoke, and, and now everything was, and I believed that. And so I was ready to represent that. Uh, Greg Kokel was, uh, in, in his, one of his, his books, says, uh, and I've heard him say this a number of times, that uh, you know what a Big Bang needs? A Big Banger. A Big Bang needs a Big Banger. And, and that's exactly, that's exactly true. These things don't just, you know, you don't have a big bang from nothing. You don't. You need someone to do that. Uh, what are the which odds are better? That somebody was there, even if you don't like him, even if you're angry at him, even if you don't think he's all that powerful, but, but he's there. What are the odds of everything coming from somebody who's there who you don't like versus nobody being there? I think the odds are slightly in favor of God who you should love, who you should be thankful for, who you should worship, which we'll, we'll get to much of that later. But we're seeing here, when we look at the stars and the sun, moon, we are seeing things that have a creator. All, uh, next, though, you're also seeing things that have a location. Notice how the location of, these, uh, of the sun, moon, and stars are, are mentioned three times. Verse 14, let there be luminaries in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 15, let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 17, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens. You are seeing things that have a location in the expanse of the heavens, what we would call space. And this this space is the space or expanse which God created on day 2. Day two said that he separated the waters uh, that covered the earth into two groups so that there was an expanse between them. And so you had waters above this expanse and waters below this expanse. And this massive, incalculably large expanse is then the place where, which God prepared on day two and then filled on day four. He puts the sun, moon, and stars in the expanse of the heavens. It's where they're situated. It's where they reside. It's where they're moving. It's where they run their circuits. And they are God's handiwork. And he put them right where he wanted them. All for his glory and for our good. They are God's creation. They are his handiwork. They are not omnipresent. They are not like God. God is omnipresent. And so we should not worship or serve any of these things. They are his handiwork. Next, you're seeing when you look at the sun, moon, and stars, things that have a purpose. This proves his handiwork. And we see a a threefold purpose given for lights in our passage. And that's that they are to shine, they are to separate, and they are to be signs. And so the first and most obvious purpose is to shine. They're called in this, uh, this text uh, lights, or you could say luminaries, or, or light-bearing objects. The same word is used to speak of a, of a lamp. Um, and so, verse 15 says, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky, uh, in the expanse of the heavens, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And verse 16 God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And so, one of the most basic and, and uh, clear f- functions and purposes for them is to shine. And the mention of their ruling the day and night uh, speaks of their being the main source of light during that period of the day. Whether it's daytime, which would be the sun, or whether the nighttime, uh, which would, would be the moon. During the day, the sun's going to be most prominent. During the night, the moon is going to be the most prominent. In that way, they are shining and casting light on the earth. The next thing that is what's closely related to this is their role in separating. This is mentioned in verse 14 and verse 18. It says to separate day from the night and to separate light from darkness. And as we just read that passage, and if you heard the sermon uh, on day one, then you'll remember that there was darkness, and then God said, let there be light. And that we have evening and morning and a and and a day, and then the next day evening and morning and a day, and the next day evening, morning, day, and it's not until we arrive at this fourth day that we have we have mention of other lights. I argued uh, in my last sermon that that light was likely the glory of God radiating forth from him in a manifestation in the universe that made uh, his own glory the basis and foundation made possible uh, a a day, a, a daytime and a nighttime, a morning and an evening. And so the earth enjoyed three days of that glory before God set up other lights to then perform that same function. And so now on the fourth day, the Lord creates the sun, moon, and stars to be the basis by which the regular cycle of daytime and nighttime is now determined. And God was pleased in his wisdom to create these luminaries to serve in this function, and on day four, they began to serve with that function and that purpose. So The purpose of these lights is to shine and to separate uh, and also to be signs. Uh, the word uh, for signs here speaks of that which some, that points to, to something else or, or is an indicator of, of something else. And so stars themselves point uh, beyond themselves to give you additional information, you could say, about, about different things. Uh, and there's some, there's some different ways that you could translate uh, this, this verse, the ESV has it, as let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, which sort of puts signs as its own category, and then for seasons as its own category, and for days and years as its own category. Uh, Or it's also possible, uh, as the Net Bible translates it, let them be for signs to indicate seasons and days and, and years. Uh, and so uh, in that case, uh, if you were to take that reading, then the, the mention of the seasons and the days and the years are, are, are explaining uh, how the, the stars are functioning or what the stars are functioning as signs for. So this would mean that the main purpose of the lights would be an observable function so that seasons, days, and years could be uh, uh, easily tracked and anticipated even with the naked eye from the earth. How do sun, moon, and stars indicate seasons? How do sun, moon, and stars indicate seasons? It's pretty amazing to, to, to look into some of this and, and to think about some of this, and, and I'll confess to you that this is not my, my expertise uh, but I, I, I got to uh, watch lots of, uh, lots of fun things uh, to think about this. But one of the things that is amazing is that the sun takes a specific pattern uh, in, in, uh, in its circuit that is observable by the naked eye that you can see. Uh, and so it will be in the same place, in the same spot, the same degree uh, of elevation in the sky, in the same season and the same day of each year. That's incredible. We don't look at the sun that much. We don't think about the sun that much. We don't stare at it. We're not like an agri- you know, uh, agrarian culture or anything like that. And so, so really tracking the seasons and you know uh, being aware of these things is not not that important for us. Uh, but it's amazing that you can actually see and calculate and know uh, all these different chronological aspects uh, because of the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, if you were to Try to figure out what, how, many more, how, how much more time is left in the day. What could you do? Well, you're like, oh, I'll pull out my phone and look at it. Yeah, you could do that, or you could just look outside. And what would that tell you? <laughs> uh, well, the, where's, where's the sun in the sky? Does it look like it just rose? Uh, is it like right you know, in the middle? Is it about halfway through it's, it's, you know, its movement across the sky? Or is it now kind of down and, and I'm watching it at the sunset over, over the water? Uh, and you can kind of do some calculations based on that. And you'd have a really good understanding of how many more hours are, are left in the day. And if you were to look at the same spot of the sun in one day and then sit there and not move and wait for it to get back to that exact same spot in the sky, how much time would that be? 24 hours, good job. <laughs> if you were to look at the sun uh, in, the same, uh, in, in its highest position uh, in the sky, such as the summer solstice, uh, where it's in its highest position at midday, and then you were to sit there for a whole year and not move, you could wait for it to get back in that same place in the sky, and you could calculate the numbers of days, how many days would it be? How many? 365 days and it would hit that position. Uh, and actually, to be re- precise, five hours. Did anyone got the five hours? Did anyone know the five hours part? 365 days and five. Nelson got the five hours. <laughs> so this is, this is amazing. You could, you could calculate uh, the same thing from equinox to, to, to equinox. Um, uh, moreover, you could look at the stars and the position that the stars are in the sky. Did you know that this, the, the position of the ska- stars in the sky change along with the seasons. And so at different seasons, you could see different stars and different formation up there. Uh, And so they they really do. They really do. I guess it's, it's scientifically provable. It's basic knowledge for people. They really do show us indicate for us chronological progression and indicate seasons and days and years. And this makes calendars possible. It makes life way more organized. It makes life way more lovely. It makes gathering together and worshiping, you know, every Sunday together, a simple thing to figure out. You know, this is all part of the amazing work that God has done. And so when you are looking at the sun, moon, and stars, you are seeing things that God God made with a purpose. And so uh, that threefold purpose is to shine and to separate and to function as as signs. Lastly, when you look at the sun, moon, and stars, you're seeing things that have a birthday. Yes, a birthday. Verse 19, you could read it for yourself. It says, and there was evening, and there was morning. What? (laughs) Someone someone said the first day over here. (laughs) The fourth day, yes. But there are people that think, that it's the first day, and I don't know if that was a joke or serious, so I'm not going to pry any deeper. Uh, but there are, there are lots of people, day-age theorists, who think that the sun was created on the first day, and then God just kind of cleared the clouds a little bit, and then the sun started shining through on day four. But I think that does violence to the let there be that is mentioned in this passage. I think it does violence to the the fact that he says that he made them on that day. And I I think that it also uh, uh, gets the wrong birthday for the sun, moon, and stars. How dare you? I write those birthday cards to you guys. You know I love doing that. Some days more than, uh, more, much more than other days. Uh, the weeks I'm preaching, I don't like writing birthday cards as much. Uh, sometimes we're late. But if someone were to get your birthday four days, you know, early and, and wrong, you'd kind of be like, man, like, you'd be gracious, you'd be forgiving. So we'll be that way too, you know, to those who get the sun, moon, and stars birthday wrong. But they have one. It's day four. Day four. Uh, one chronologist, James, uh, uh, Bishop James Usher, uh, Usher even gave Wednesday, October 26, 4004 B.C. as the birthday of the sun. Pretty amazing. I don't know all his calculations that, that, that go, go into that. I'm not here to prove or defend that. But what we can prove and defend is that the sun, moon, and stars had a birthday day four, not day one. Don't stumble over that. Get, get the sun's birthday right. So when you're looking at the sun, moon, and stars, you're looking at things that have a creator, a location, a purpose, and a birthday, and all of this shows the handiwork of God. Psalm 8, when Kevin read it, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, right? What is man that you're mindful of him? God, you are incredible. God, you are amazing. Psalm 102, verse 25, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. These are not gods. They should not be worshipped. These are not also merely, you know, just just helium or chemicals that popped into existence on their own. They are not part of a long, drawn-out process. They are made in one day, on the fourth day, when God spoke them into existence. They are the creative, brilliant, glorious, orderly, lovely, majestic creation and work of God's hands. So, where have we been so far? I asked you, when you look at the sun, moon, and stars, what do you see? What does God want you to see? I hope that you're beginning to see more clearly they are his handiwork. They are his handiwork. Second, then, what does God want you to think? If you understand that the sun, moon, and stars are God's handiwork then that all of a sudden takes things to another level. I'm not just looking at chemicals. I'm not even just looking at lights, but I'm looking at things that God himself made and put there. And so my thoughts are instantly drawn past the stars to the father who made the stars, past the lights to the father of lights. And God wants the lights to serve that exact purpose. And if you just look and you stop and you see no further than the sun, moon, and stars, then you're not seeing and you're not going to think what God wants you to. So what are some of these thoughts that God wants us to think when we look at the sun, moon, and stars? Verse 18 says that God put them in the sky. Verse 18, it says, to rule over the day and the night, separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. What does God want you to think about when you behold the sun, moon, and stars? He wants you to think about the goodness of his creation, the goodness of his creation. Think about how good your life is because of those things up there that you did nothing. You contributed in absolutely no way. You did not make the sun, grab the sun, put it in your hand, and throw it up into its orbit. You didn't do that. But God spoke it into existence and gave it to you. And so now you can go to the beach and not freeze. (laughs) You can go to the beach and enjoy the sand, the warm sand. (laughs) You can enjoy the rays of the sun you can get a little tan. You can enjoy all of that because God made it and it was good. It's beautiful. It's reliable. It's 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 faithful, it's stable, it's cyclical, it's it's wonderful. It doesn't feel or function like an accident. Can I get an name in? It doesn't feel or function like an accident. Goodness is the intentional goal of God's creation and reflection of his own goodness. He made it all. And because he is good, he knows how to make good things. And so everything that we, every good and perfect gift we realize comes from him. It's good. So he wants you to think about the goodness of his creation. He also wants you to think about the greatness of his power. If you see nothing but these stars in the sky, the sun, moon uh, in the sky, then and you never move past that to consider the power of the one who put those there, who made them, then then your thoughts are not raising high enough. God wants you to think about the greatness of his power power. How do you know that? Well, God spoke it into existence, and it came right into existence. That's power. But another way that we we can see the power of God and see the greatness of his power, I think, is in uh, what many have called the the greatest understatement ever. And I want to show that to you in case you missed it. I love it. It's in verse 16. God made the two lights, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, by the way, the stars. The stars, what's the stars? How many, what is the stars? How many stars are there? If you're in really good conditions on a dark night, and you are to, to just look up and see um, with just your eye, no telescope, you know, no binoculars, nothing, you would be able to see uh, b- uh, between 2,600 and 4,500 stars. Pretty amazing. What's more amazing is that that's just what you can see with the naked eye. And with tools and, and instruments, and, and we've come a long way with this, so we get to look really far these days. Uh, you, can, you can try to look and, and see, and, and they, they've, they've, they've calculated that there's about, so uh, we're in the Milky Way galaxy, and they've, they've, they, they've calculated there's between 100 to 400 billion stars and at least that many planets in the Milky Way galaxy. That's just one galaxy. Recent estimates on the number of galaxies in the observable universe are two trillion. That's just what we can observe. And so how many stars could you calculate in the observable universe that, uh, uh one astronomy website puts here? There's approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. And the stars. Just like it's just thrown in there. Oh yeah, God did that too. It's no big deal. I mean, it's just what He does. Like He's powerful, incredible. I was watching a 60 Minutes James Webb special, uh, and the guy being interviewed there, uh, they they get this uh, uh, um, just incredible, incredible. Uh, uh, it's unbelievable what, what they can what they can see. Uh, they this guy says they, they, they pick a part of the sky uh, that essentially is like hey this doesn't look like there's much there so like let's focus on that one patch of the whole dark sky uh, and we'll just leave it there and we'll let it collect you know uh, collect the light and and then you know take its time and and see what's there and essentially on what seemed like it was just like some empty part uh, you know uh, some empty space. Uh, this guy says well, that James Webb taught us that there is no empty sky. That's what we discovered with James Webb. Meaning when you looked at it, that the, the place where they thought there'd be nothing just filled up. It's just absolutely full, overflowing, more than they could even see of lights, lights, lights. Incredible. The heavens declare the glory of God. They show his power. Psalm 147, four and five says, he determines the number of the stars and he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord. His understanding is beyond measure. All right, let's back this up. 200 billion trillion, and that's just the guess. Does your mind even understand 200 billion trillion? I don't even think I understand a billion, right? Right? All I know is I hope that $200 billion trillion is not the national debt someday. Because <laughs> I don't understand and say what we always say. Y'all need a budget. Sorry, that was totally random. <laughs> Isaiah 40, verse 25 and 26. Try to wrap your mind around what God has done. It's incredible, there's no one like him. Isaiah 40, verse 25 says, to whom then will you compare me that I I should be like him, says the Holy One. Isaiah 40, verse 26, next verse, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in Power, not one of them is missing. Oh, the power of God. When we look, we should see the power of God. I love uh, this this comment by the early church father, Basil, in his commentary on the six days of creation. He says, But enough on the greatness of the sun and moon. This is kind of near the end of one of his sections. And he says, May he who has given us intelligence recognize in the smallest objects of creation, the great wisdom of the, uh, uh, of the contriver makes us find in great bodies a still higher idea of their creator. And he says this, however, so speaking about these great bodies, the, the sun, moon, the stars, uh, he says, however, compared with their author, The sun and moon are but a fly and an ant. (laughs) The whole universe cannot give us a right idea of the greatness of God, and it is only by signs weak and slight in themselves, often by the smallest insects insects and the least plants that we raise ourselves to him. So, so his point is that, that that helps us, that helps us to get an idea of and to show us that, man, it's, it's his, his greatness and his power is unfathomable and you get a taste of it just enough to put you in your place. But not enough that you have fully understood him because his ways are not your ways and he is far above us. And if this is his power, I love this, Greg Koukl mentions this, if God has such power like that, if he created the entire universe in an instant, and he says, and we know that uh, could well be what happens, then he says, then just about anything else out of the ordinary would be pretty easy by comparison. So when you look up and you're reminded of his power, then what tremendous confidence, comfort, encouragement. God, this is, everything else is easy. All of it's easy for you. This is way smaller. This is way more simple. Look at all you've done, God. And you're here and you care and you're mindful of me. Let me live in light of your power, God, as I look up and see it on display. And also, third then, when we look up at the sun, moon, and stars, we are to think about the glory of his promises. You see, here for a moment, I want to jump out of the book of Genesis just long enough to point out that the God who put the sun, moon, and stars in the sky... uh, uh, he, he, he also refers back to them and uses them as object lessons when he is speaking to his people. And one of the things he says in, is uh, in Jeremiah 31 verse, uh, verse 35. I'll pick up in 31, actually. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's an amazing promise. I'm going to forgive all their sin. I'm going to blot it all out. I'm going to fulfill my promises that I've made to them. I'm going to give them my son. I'm going to provide a a Messiah, the son of David, a king, to come to rule, to reign, to save Israel and bless the nations. What a glorious promise. And look at what God does and says next, verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, Who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar? The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, if you can break my covenant with the moon and with the sun and with the stars so that daytime and nighttime do not come, then you can, be, you can, you can begin to question me on whether or not I'm going to fulfill my promise to bring salvation through the Messiah to you. So when you look at the sun, moon, and stars, you are then to be reminded of the fact that God has said, look at that, look at how they keep coming, and if they keep coming, then my promise is still coming. The Savior is coming. The Son of David is coming. Malachi chapter 4 describes this this day when Messiah comes at his, his second coming as a day where the son of righteousness it's a title for the messiah the sun son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings so every time you see that sun rise you should look beyond it to the day that is coming when the son of righteousness will rise and come with healing in his wings. That's gonna be a glorious day for those who by faith in Jesus have put their trust in in him and have been been saved. They're gonna be comforted. They're gonna be protected. They're gonna be blessed. They're gonna be rewarded. But that day is also a day of fearful judgment for those who have rejected God and have rejected his son and have not turned from their sins and have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to Malachi 4, 1-3. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all of the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. If I took you, I put you in a rocket ship and and, and say we could do this, and I sent you uh, all the way to the sun, what would happen to you upon approaching? Would you survive? Brothers and sisters, friends, you have a greater chance of surviving in a rocket to the sun than surviving the arrival of the sun of righteousness if you have not put your faith and hope in him. He put that Son there to teach you. To teach you to look for another coming Son. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I love that. God sent his son who is the light of the world, who is the glory of the Father, who is the image of the invisible God, who is the radiance of his glory, who is the exact imprint of his nature, through whom he created the world, by whom he spoke all things into existence. He sent that son and that son came and he put on flesh and he lived a perfect, sinless, holy life to die as a sacrificial substitute on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would turn to him and he alone is the only one who is able to save us, to redeem us, and to usher in a new heaven and a new earth where perfect peace and righteousness forever dwells. We have to hope and trust in him. This is what the promises God makes and anchors to the sun, moon, and stars point us to the Lord Jesus and his healing rays when he comes. As dark as it may be right now, we have, believers in Jesus Christ, have the glorious promise of the day that is coming. The time of all things is, uh, the time of the end of all things is near. The Messiah is coming, and he is coming soon, and he will come, and he will, he will come from where he is seated after he was crucified, he laid in that tomb for three days and he was raised from the dead on the third day and he ascended to, uh, up to sit at the right hand of the Father. And that's way higher than, than all the, whatever, 200 billion trillion galaxies and, and stars and planets that, that they're all talking about. Way above all that, he's seated there and he's coming back to establish his kingdom to judge the living and the dead and to bring in everlasting Righteousness and a new heaven and a new earth. That is the promise of the scriptures. And and you don't have to do, you don't have to contribute in any way to that. You don't have to to, uh, try to make that happen. It's going to happen. You could fight against it your whole life and, and die, and it's going to happen. You have the majority of the world fighting against it and die. It's going to happen. And so because you know this is going to happen, you should look forward and be joyful if you're in Christ, but fearful if you're not. And it should cause you to do something. That's our last point here. What does God want you to do? You see, it's so important that you see what God wants you to see. It's so important that you, you, you uh, uh, also then uh, think about what God wants you to think about. But if you haven't moved from, from seeing what God wants you to see, and thinking about what God wants you to think about, to doing what God wants you to do, then, then something's not right. Your looking and your thinking must lead to your doing. So when you look at the sun, moon, and stars... And you you should be thinking about how this is God's handiwork. You should be thinking about the glorious person uh, and character and promises of God. And then you should be thinking that I need to do something right this second. What should you do in response? Three things. First one is this. You should thank him. And if you're here and you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ yet, that can be the very first thing you do in the right direction is just thank God. Thank him. You don't have to pay him. You don't have to repay him. How much do you think the, the sun could go for on the internet if you were to sell it? <laughs> what value would you put on it? Come on, someone give me a number. Be bold. One billion, <laughs> One billion trillion. Okay, does anyone have that much money? Okay, so God gave you the sun. How much do you owe him? And how, could you ever repay that? No, <laughs> we can never repay that. We could never repay not even one single good thing that he's given us in this life. We couldn't make it. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't sustain it. We couldn't repay it. And that's not how it works in God's economy anyways. He's not asking us to pay. He's not asking us to repay. He's only asking that we what? That we thank him. Right? You you probably say this to your kids. Couldn't you at least say thank you? (laughs) Right? And yet here we are sinful rebels running around in the world doing whatever we want to do and we're not willing to thank God. We're like, no, I will not. I cannot. I'm not going to thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Romans 1 verse 21 describes how the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress uh, the truth in their unrighteousness and uh, Paul says in verse 21 that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's the first thing. If you look at Paul a few verses earlier, first thing he does, I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, right? Thank him. So if you're here and you've never thanked God, this is going to be, the, I mean, that's the greatest moment of your life, I believe. If you thank him for the first time from your heart, thank you, Lord, for making the sun and the moon and the stars. But it should also lead you to do something else, and that's to praise him, to praise him. Romans 1.25, describing the same evil people, suppressing the sinful people that we are, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and how we didn't, uh, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. Verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So whenever you see on display which are clearly on display according to Romans 1 verse 19 and 20. This is what it says, "For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The sun, moon, and stars are things that have been made. They show us the eternal power and divine nature, the invisible attributes of God. They point to that and reveal that for us. And yet, uh, and so the only proper thing to do with a God that great and a God that glorious, a God who created in such a way, is to then thank him and praise him. If God has given you the whole world, is it too much for you to give him your heart? Is it too much for you to say, I will worship you? I will serve you. If he's given you existence and life and breath, is it too much for you to give him praise? Nothing short of praise would be appropriate for him. Listen to this quote again from the early church father, Basil. He encouraged us to praise God and lift up our thoughts. He says, if we are penetrated by these truths, we shall know ourselves. We shall know God. We shall adore our creator. We shall serve our master. We shall glorify our father. We shall love our sustainer. We shall bless our benefactor. We shall not cease to honor the prince of the present and future life, who, by the riches that he showers upon us in this world, makes us believe in his promises and uses present good things to strengthen our expectation of the future. Truly, if such are the good things of time, what will those of eternity be? If such is the beauty of visible things, what shall we think of invisible things? If the grandeur of the heavens exceeds the measure of human intelligence, what mind shall be able to trace the nature of the everlasting If the sun subject to corruption is so beautiful, so grand, so rapid in its movement, so invariable in its course, if its grandeur is in such perfect harmony with and due proportion to the universe, if by the beauty of its nature it shines like a brilliant eye in the middle of creation, if finally one cannot tire of contemplating it, what will be the beauty of the sun of righteousness? If the blind man suffers from not seeing the material sun, what a deprivation it is for the sinner to not enjoy the true light. When you look at the sun, moon, and stars, knowing what they are, knowing what to think about, then you realize what you need to do. You need to praise him. You need to, you need to thank him. And lastly, we'll mention here that you need to shine for him. You need to shine for him. Just as uh, other texts in scripture, like the promises that God made, sort of uh, tied um, his promises to the sun, moon, and stars. We see the sun, moon, and stars function uh, as a metaphor and analogy to speak about spiritual realities that describe believers in Jesus Christ. And so if you begin to thank God, to praise him and to believe in his son, uh, then you have already begun to shine and you have come into the light and you're walking in the light and you are to then live in the light. In Philippians chapter two, Paul says, do all things, verse 14, without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as stars in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 says that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Lord Jesus says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Look, it's dark out there. It's also dark out in space. And just as God put those stars out there, He has put these stars right here. And we have shining to do. And the way that we do that is by not being conformed to the pattern of this world but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's by walking in the light. It's by confessing sin. It's by repenting of sin. It's by loving God. It's by loving his church. It's by loving his people and being partnership, having true deep, gospel partnership together with one another and loving the people who are around us as ourselves and preaching this gospel of God's grace and forgiveness to those who are around us so that we can turn them from darkness to light so that they too then uh, can become those who shine along with us. If you are shining, your goal is to turn many to the light of the sun of righteousness and help them. Help them to follow him. Help them to follow Christ. Help them to shine here and now. Encourage them when they're weary. Tell them they still have shining to do. When you look at the sun, moon, and stars, I want you to think about how maybe, maybe think back to the first person that you ever saw the sun, moon, and stars with. Think of your first memory. Maybe that person's not with you anymore. That person also looked at those stars with someone else, and that person with someone else, and that person looked at them with someone else. They're looking at the same stars. Those stars are still shining. You may be older. You may be tired. You may be feeling like you're you're near the end. You may feel like persevering is really hard and just be easier to give up look at the stars, look at the sun, look at the moon, they're still shining. And they will shine until the Lord Jesus rolls them up like a scroll. So what's our job? Shine while he gives us the time to shine for him. So what does God want you to do? He wants you to thank him, praise him, and shine for him. So now you know, when you look at the stars, when you look at the sun and the moon, you know what God wants you to see, you know what he wants you to think, you know what he wants you to do. So now you need to go and do it. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that you would bless your church. Lord, I know, Father, that I cannot change the way that they look at the heavenly lights. But Lord, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, can open their eyes so that they all see them as the sweet gifts they are from you, a good and loving God. And that they are not an end to themselves, but are to lead us to thank thank you and to praise you and to shine for you, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would not let a single soul leave here acting like the ancient Near Eastern peoples, seeing these as God's. Lord, also that we would not act like the, the modern atheistic or materialistic scientists, Lord, that cannot see any of, any of God's handiwork as they look at these things. But Lord, may we be humble, simple, with childlike faith, Bible-believing, fourth-day creation-believing Christians. And may, may our lives be different And may the way we view the sun, moon, and stars be forever changed because of it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.